As you're being seated, go ahead and open up your Bibles. We're going to be in Luke chapter 20 today, Luke chapter 20. You know, there's certain things that just kind of go along with being a Christian. For example, uh, Christians love Whataburger. I don't know exactly what it is, but Whataburger and Chick-fil-A, uh, Christians just kind of love them. I, I think both of those places will be in heaven. Amen. Uh, Christians love coffee. I'm not sure why Christians have such a love affair with coffee. My guess is it started so that you could stay awake during sermons. And then it became an addiction, and now it just goes along with the gospel. And that ultimately, genuine Christians embrace the gospel. The gospel literally means the good news. It's, it's the good news of Jesus Christ. And the message of the gospel is more than just your baptism. It's more than just that moment when you walked the aisle and you said what we call the sinner's prayer, the gospel for a Christian becomes the foundation. It becomes the lens through which we understand life, society. It helps us understand history, family, purpose, hope, and love. The gospel is our worldview, and it's how we process and understand the world around us. So the gospel actually begins with the words, in the beginning, God, what? Created. Now this is actual, actual fundamental to our worldview because as Christians we believe that life is not an accident, that it's more than a choice, that God chose, the divine God chose to create, and because God created, life has design, it has God's presence within it, and God did not create his world and then say, good luck with that. He's not a detached deity. Instead, God created within you and me what the Bible refers to as the image of God, that he desires for us spiritually to know him so that we might reflect God and his glory into the world around us. As Christians, we believe that when God created the world, he also instilled within it a creative authority so that there is both design and there is truth that comes from God. And within that design, he created us to have a relationship with him and to impact the world. And so for a Christian, our view of the gospel and our view of God's creative authority actually speaks to many of the big social issues of our day. Because we believe that God created, we believe that life has dignity from conception to eternity. Life has dignity because it's not just a biological chance, it is a created gift. We believe that gender has meaning. We believe that marriage is not merely a social construct, but it is a godly idea from which we form the foundation of family, that human sexuality is not an expression of oneself, but it is literally to be an expression of that marriage relationship, and that from that relationship emerges family, and children are raised with a mom and a dad, and they are raised in the love and nurture of a family, and 
and they are taught the ways of the Lord and how to succeed in life, and they experience a genuine love that is not based in selfish pride, but a love that comes from our Creator who gave and teaches us also to give in such a way so that we love other people with an agape, selfless love, and we understand that because God created and that He is real, there is a hope that goes beyond merely a better tomorrow or good fortune, but there is a hope that lasts forever because our life here today is anchored to God's eternity with Him in heaven. And so when God looked at His creation, He said, this is good. What I have created is good. But then sin slithered onto the scene. And because of sin, we live in a fractured world. We live in a world where there is darkness, where evil is real. There is sin. And every person, you and I included, are born with a sin nature. And as soon as we are capable of moral action, our sin nature will lead us to transgress the holy standards of God so that we find ourselves under the condemnation of our sins in need of salvation And every area of our society and our lives are to a degree, to a large degree, saturated by sin. Now, you see this every day. We know it. You read about it in the news. You sense it in your soul that something is just not right about the world, that there are injustices and darkness and evils and that sin is abounding around us. But the Scripture continues The story of the gospel continues that motivated by his love for God so loved the world that he did what? He gave what? His only son. And his son lived the perfect life, the sinless life that you and I could never live. His son died upon the cross. And when he died upon the cross, it was not merely the death of a good teacher who believed in his cause to such a degree that he was willing to be tortured and killed, but it was an atoning death where he was dying for your sins and mine. And that his son also conquered death, which is the natural outcome of a sinful person and sinful world. Death could not contain our Lord. He rose again. And because of Christ, those of us who are anchored in the gospel also understand that because of what Christ did on the cross and through his resurrection, salvation is now available to all people. This is the gospel, which is the good news. Now, what this means is that no one, no one is beyond the reach of grace. I don't care what you've done, where you've been, who you are, what family you come from. Because of the good news to all people, no one is beyond the reach of grace. And so Christ calls us to believe in Him. Christ calls us to place our faith in Him, to trust in what He has done for us. And when we do that, God brings forgiveness to our past, purpose to our present. And hope to our future. So make sure you catch this, okay? The gospel changes everything. Because of the gospel, all things become new. The gospel becomes the greatest gift that life has to offer. And the gospel becomes the lens through which we understand 
the world around us. It is redefining in every area. When we come to Luke chapter 20 and verses 20 through 26, Jesus is confronted by one of the chief enemies of the gospel. He is confronted by legalism. So look with me there in your Bibles. The scriptures say, They watched closely and sent spies who pretended to be righteous. Right there is your definition of legalism. They were pretending to be righteous. And they were doing this so that they could catch him in what he said to hand him over to the governor's rule and authority. You see, the gospel drives us to a point of humility where we bow the knee before our Lord and we admit our sin and we ask God for his power to turn from our sin and to turn to Christ and to live for him. As gospel Christians, we believe that righteousness is not found in and of ourselves, that that righteousness is found in Christ. But legalism is cold, it's sterile, it's self-induced. Legalism leads you to pretend to wear the mask, the hypocrisy mask, to pretend as if you are righteous. And it adorns itself in pride. Gospel begins, the gospel begins in the heart. And then it moves into every area of your life. Legalism will scheme and lie in order to try to control every area of life. With no or little concern for the heart. And so in verse 20, Jesus is, he encounters these legalistic spies. And they decide they're going to hold a holy huddle. Legalistic spies, they enjoy holy huddles. They like to kind of stand on the fringe of the church and talk in these little holy huddles. They rarely actually find themselves joining the body of the church and becoming part of Christ's body. And these spies determine that they are going to try to trick Jesus into saying something illegal. So look at the next verse, verse 21. So they question him, teacher, we know that you speak and teach correctly and you don't show partiality, but teach truthfully the way of God. Now, let me just hit the pause button a little bit on some of my train of thought, because I want you to notice some things here about Jesus teaching. Specifically, I want you to notice that even those who were Jesus enemies observed about him, that he spoke and taught correctly. Jesus had both a theological and a biblical base, and it was solid. He didn't just offer his opinion or say, well, this is what I think, but when Jesus taught, he taught with a precision and he taught with an accuracy that came from the Word of God. Number two, I want you to notice that Jesus, the Scriptures say, didn't show partiality. He didn't divide his audience into groups and say, well, God loves you and God doesn't love you. And instead, he taught with, uh, with, a, with an impartiality. He was willing to share the gospel with both the Jew and the Gentile, the Pharisee and the Sadducee. He was willing to share the gospel with those that were near to God and those that were far to God. And you find Jesus sharing the gospel with the outcast of society, 
the prostitutes, the tax collectors, those that sat outside on the streets and begged, Jesus would take the gospel to them and bring grace near. Thirdly, we see that he taught the way of God. You see, Jesus didn't just throw down truth bombs and say, okay, thus saith the Lord. Jesus also modeled what he taught in real life, so much so that he called 12 men from various backgrounds to follow him, live with him, day and night, these disciples saw him, saw how he lived, saw how he treated people because he took the gospel to real life. I say this because being a Christian in a 2018 America requires that you have some discernment. Now, I know this may blow your mind, but not everything you find on Google is solid, okay? Not everything that's out there uh, that's packaged in Christian attire is solid. Now, it's important that you don't become the paranoid Christian where you think someone's always out to get you or somebody's always trying to trick you. And it's also important that you don't become the small box Christian that says, okay, uh, this is where I am and this is where I go to church and if you're not exactly like me, then you're not my brother and sister in Christ because there are people that uh, they believe the gospel but they may have some other nuances of their faith but they're still our brothers and sisters in Christ. But I want you to be discerning. I want you to begin to realize that whenever you look at teaching, whenever you start thinking about uh, what Bible studies you're doing or what books you're reading, to look for something that has a sound biblical and theological foundation. Look for something that talks of grace that has been extended by Christ to people that can be redeemed. Look for something that takes the teaching of Scripture and it lands it in real life so that it challenges you to go and be like Christ. Well, in verse 22, these uh, legalistic spies, they come up to Jesus and they say, Is it lawful? Is it within the rules? Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, these guys are good because they are trying to trap Jesus in the social issue of his day. Now, let me modernize this question for you a little bit. It's as though they were coming up to Jesus and asking him, Jesus, what do you think of the Supreme Court nomination? Or, Jesus... What are your views on immigration? They were trying to trap Jesus in the social issue of his day. Paying taxes to Caesar was on CNN and Fox News 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And there were a lot of different sides on this issue, and there were two predominant sides. One was the radical or zealot side that said, no way. When it comes to paying taxes to Caesar, absolutely not. Caesar's a jerk. We don't want to give him one cent. And then there was the other side that was more the compromise side that would say, okay, yeah, Caesar may be a jerk, but he's a powerful jerk, okay? And we want a happy Caesar, so, you know, we'll do whatever we we have to do. And the radical side was always fighting against Rome and often doing illegal things in order to try to get their way. And the compromise side, they were always trying to be like Rome. And so they come to Jesus and they're trying, okay, give us an answer. Which side are you going to take? And Jesus gives them an unexpected answer. Look at verse 23. But detecting their craftiness, he said to them, Show me a denarius. Whose image 
an inscription does it have? Caesar's, they said. Well, then he told them, give back to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Now, you've probably heard this passage before. This passage is the one that Christians quote on tax day, right? You go in to pay your taxes and you turn up, open up TurboTax and you say, well, I got to render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. And so you pay your taxes and you need to pay your taxes. You need to uh, pay, pay what you owe there. And then Christians, after we pay our taxes, we go to Chick-fil-A and we drown our sorrows in chicken nuggets, right? That's just what, that's just what, what we do. But the real key to the passage is the other part where Jesus says, give back to God the things that are God's. Now, where we often preach this is we say, okay, well, you've got to give Caesar the things that belong to Caesar, and you also need to give God the tithe. And don't hear me in any way. I'm not saying you don't need to give to the church, because you do. Okay? Uh, there's thousands of years of, of history in Scripture that supports the idea that we as Christians, uh, we give, save, live. We, we give to God that which is God's, and Christians have given a tenth back to God for thousands of years, going all the way back to Abraham. And you also need to be able to save some money, and you need to to learn how to live on a budget and to live within your means. And so, by all means, this, this also can have application to the idea that we need to give financially back to God. But I think there is more than just money in the conversation here. You see, if I am giving God the things that are God's, then giving Caesar the things that are Caesar's, is no big deal. Because I have something of much greater value. I have the gospel. I have grace. I have the spirit. I have a totally different outlook on life because of the gospel. And so we have to ask ourselves, okay, what is it that God really wants from me? What was it that Jesus over and over and over admonished his followers to do. And it is belief. He wants you to place your faith, your belief in him. So what does God ultimately want from me? He, he wants me to place my faith, to place my life in him. He wants me to begin to understand that the gospel is more than a baptism or a prayer. The gospel is more than a good church to attend. But the gospel is the foundation of who I am. And when I place my faith in Christ, I come alive spiritually so that the Spirit within me guides me and shapes me and leads me. And when I come alive spiritually, I see the world differently and so the things that belong to Caesar ultimately don't have a hold on me because I, I ultimately don't belong to that world and so I can give to Caesar that which belongs to Caesar I understand you got to pay your bills you got to pay your taxes you got to go to work you got to try to get along with people you need food water shelter all those things, they're, they're a part of life. They're, there's aspects where we have to render under Caesar that which belongs to Caesar. But because as a believer, I ultimately see the world through the lens of the gospel. 
I know this. There is something more valuable than succeeding in the daily grind. There's the gospel. There's a spiritual side. And God has given me something that Caesar can never offer me. And so when we give to God what belongs to God, God gives to us what belongs to Him. God begins to extend to us His grace, His love, His hope. He strengthens our faith. God begins to give us that heavenly perspective. James talks about if you lack wisdom, what should you do? Go ask. And God gives wisdom to us so that we might see His world and see His kingdom and be a part of what He is doing. And when you have grace, love, and hope, living within you, then the rest becomes easy. And so Jesus can say to his audience, it's not fair, it's not right that Rome marched its army into your land and conquered you. It's not good, it's not right that they're charging you taxes. Yes, they have no morals. They are controlled by evil. The Roman world is dark. It's unjust. But you need to understand something. That dark, unjust world is really rotting inside. Because it has no hope. It doesn't last. It has no grace. It has no love. It will ultimately find the destination of all earthly kingdoms. You name all the great kings, all the great human kings that have ever lived, and they all have the same thing in common. They're dead and their kingdom's gone. It's fading. So Jesus says, yeah, you can give to Caesar what belongs to him, because what belongs to him doesn't even compare to what God has given to you. A couple of months ago, Stacy and I had date night. We don't get to do date night all that often. Whenever you have four kids, the babysitters think they deserve more money or something like that. (laughs) So, uh, so, uh, so we we had date night and we decided, hey, let's uh, let's do dinner and a movie. So we're not really up on what all the movies are that are out there. We're like, what movie should we go to? Like, oh, let's go see the Avengers. Who doesn't like a good comic book, you know, movie? So we decide we're going to go see the Avengers and. you know, it's it's pretty violent, so I'm not giving it the pastor last seal of approval here. But you know, I'm just confessing my sins to you at this point, I guess. So, um, uh, yeah, that's right. You know, we're Christians; we don't go see rated R movies unless they're about the crucifixion of Christ, right? Okay. But anyway, this one's not. It wasn't rated R either. But anyway, all through the movie, all through the movie, the good guys are fighting the bad guys, and I have my popcorn and I've got my slushy. You know, and I guess I should use my hand, but then I put down my slushy, and, and I'm watching the movie, and I'm 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 getting into it, and I have faith. I have faith in the good guys. You got Iron Man, Captain America, Thor. Who? Spoiler. Some other hero named Spoiler. And 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 I'm like, I'm like, man, the good guys are gonna beat this evil dude. Thanos, I think is how you say his name. Thanos. Y'all never studied Greek. (laughs) Did y'all study Greek? Because it's actually Thanos. Anyway, okay. Yeah. 
I bet you also say logos, don't you, instead of logos. Yeah. Anyway, over and over again, the movie gets my hopes up. I mean, I'm, I'm like, man, these, these guys are, are going to win. But then there's the end. Yeah, now cover your ears. The bad guy wins. Yeah, no way. I agree. So at the end of this movie, I, I'm just mad. I'm like, Stacy, if I would have known that the bad guy was going to win, I'd done things differently. Now, I know there's a sequel coming out, and the good guy wins in the sequel, but, like, I can take out another mortgage on my house to go to dinner in a movie? I mean, goodness, I can't afford that. I mean, I, I, I mean if I would have known that the bad guy was going to win, I would have never gone to that particular movie. I would have settled for the romantic comedy or something like that where, where it ends well. Life, life can be a real struggle. And, 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 you know, sometimes, do you ever feel like this? Do you ever feel like, oops, the bad guys are winning? You ever just feel like the bad guys are winning? Like you can never really get your break. And just about the time you get to that point, you think, okay, this is it. This is the opportunity. This is what we've been working for. All right, this, this makes total sense to me. It's going, this, is how, this is how God's going to open this door. And just about the time you think you get there, then bam, life hits you again. I didn't see that coming. And it's really easy to just say, okay, I, I'm just going to give up. I, I can't do this anymore. Just leave me alone. I'll, I'll live out my days. Ah, just, just let me be angry. It's really easy to get disillusioned. You begin thinking, oh, is, is any of this really worth it? But then there's this little thing called the gospel. And the gospel reminds me that not only will God win in the end, but He has already won in my heart through the cross. And because of the gospel, even though, yeah, we go through this grind that we call life and people don't always act the way that they should and people get sick and things happen that we don't understand, even though we're living in this fallen world, the gospel is alive and well in our heart and it allows us to see the world around us differently and it allows us to see the people that are even doing things to us that are wrong as individuals that are loved by God to the degree that He sent His Son to die for their sins. And it allows us to be instruments of the gospel that bring it near to people who are a long, long ways from God and say, listen, grace is available to you and Christ calls you to believe. And whenever you believe in Christ, all things can become new because God does a recreation within your heart and soul. When the gospel has won my heart, I can give to Caesar what belongs to him. Because the struggle doesn't own me. I belong to God. And whenever you belong to God, nothing can separate you from His love. You are His forever and ever and ever. The God who created you loves you. The God who created you created you with a divine story. He created your life to bring glory to Him by being a part of His story. Your life is not an accident. And God has extended His love to you through His Son. He has brought forgiveness to your past, purpose to your present, and hope to your future. 
And what He desires from you is that you will give to God the things that are God's. You'll give Him you. Place your faith in Him. And let Him use your life in ways that only He can. Would you be so kind as to bow your heads with me, please, as we come to a time of commitment? I want you to know that it is my deep, deep joy in life to be your pastor. Standing before you and preaching the Word of God brings an incredible satisfaction to my soul because we get to study the Scriptures together. And God does work in our heart. And if there's anything that I can pray with you about, it is my joy to pray with you. I'll be here at the front. If today is the day that Christ is calling you unto Himself and you need to place your faith in Christ, please come see me. I'll be here at the front during the next song. I'll be here after the service. I would love to help you with this. Heavenly Father, I thank You for this incredible church. Lord, I, I believe that there's probably somebody in here today that came in weary from the struggle. Maybe even disillusioned, angry. I pray, Father, that You might show them that whenever we get disillusioned with a fallen world, it actually frees us to see the world for what it really is and to find the freedom that is in Christ, seeing the world through the lens of the Gospel. I pray, Father, for that person that's angry or that person that's worried today. I pray that You might drain from us the anxiety or the bitterness and fill us with faith. And I pray, Lord, today for the person that's been living their days trying to find meaning and satisfaction from things that don't really last. Help us, Lord, to find our satisfaction in the Gospel and to realize that because we have You, everything else pales in comparison. And that because we have You, we have the strength to live the life that you've called us to and to shine the light of Christ into the darkness of the world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. It's in Jesus' name we now worship. Amen.